Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about faith and ministry, usually here in Portland, Oregon, but we got a special guest today, uh, not not exactly from here, so we'll get to that in just a sec, but uh, in the meantime, I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And that was an awful, awful intro, but it'll work. Um, so we've, we've got a special guest, um, uh, a writer that I followed for a long time and and who speaks to me a lot, and I just learned the the third best lead singer of Five Iron Frenzy. Um, uh, that's, I, that's that's how I, that's how I would put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was talking with um, Leonor from Five Iron uh, over this over this quarantine time, and when she found out we were talking with you, she said, "Ask him about the time he took over for our lead singer." And I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> Three shows, man. Yeah, uh, Atlanta, Nashville, and my it might have been San Antonio, Atlanta, Nashville. I don't really remember. Yeah, so what happened there? Like, did you... So Reese, the front man for Five Iron Frenzy, his grandmother died. Oh, gosh. Um, and, I mean, it's a long time ago. Everyone's over it. But, um, but uh, yeah, and so I'm in, I'm in a van behind them, and Reese, uh, Reese calls my cell phone. He's like, hey, man, how well do you know our song? <laughs> Pretty well. I mean, I've, I'm a listener, and I've been on the tour for... 30 shows. So yeah. Awesome. So you're going to be singing. And I thought he was totally pulling my leg. <laughs> yeah. And so, until it was like sound check and they're like, we need you at the stage. I was like, Oh dude. Oh no, no, no. Like for reals. Yeah. So we had to negotiate a few things. There were some songs I, I didn't know all the words to. And then there are some songs whose notes I was not capable of hitting. You know you're covering for Reese, right? Like he famously misses lyrics. <laughs> that's that's like his thing. Yeah, that's where when you say like third best, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> you might you might top him. I was thinking like like uh uh Leonor kills it on when I go out. Yep. But um yeah, Reese is kind of hit or miss. <laughs> Reese is in his own Reese is somewhere in his own top 3 most of the time. <laughs> Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually we're going to be talking with him pretty soon too. Um, but yeah, so, so David, you still haven't introduced him yet. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Justin Mc, <laughs> Justin McRoberts here. Um, yeah. So so a few years ago, um, when you put out the prayer book with Scott Erickson, um, we had I had just gone to see his Say Yes show. And which is unbelievable, um, by the way, listeners, like the, it, it really, it hit me really hard. Well, the book had just come out. And so I grabbed a copy and the prayers within spoke to me, like on such a soul level Mm. at that time. And I was like, who is this Justin guy? Like, (laughs) who's this guy who's, who's writing these amazing prayers. And since then I've been following your work. I know you've been, um, a musician and writing for a while, but it's these, it's these really simple prayers that you're posting on Instagram that are, that are hitting me, uh, on really on like a soul level. And somehow or another, you found us on here. Um, and I'm, I'm still convinced we have like five listeners total, (laughs) but somehow, somehow you, you found us. And I was like, this dude sort of vibes with the crap we've been talking about anyway. Like, like, uh, one of the prayers you recently posted was something along the lines of like, um, the controlling the, um, 
uh, the fruit of our works um, mm. Uh, mm. maybe shouldn't be the number one focus, but um, letting all our works be just an act of love. Like, where where do these um, sorts of prayers come from? Are they prayers to yourself, or are they like, um, is is this sort of the um, way that God's been leading you to live? Like, where where are these things coming from? Yeah, kind of all of it. So I'll, I'll back up and say one thing about about the intro. The intro is fine. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I did a fine job. Uh, two, um, you, I, you know, you guys are doing good work with the podcast for sure. And the people, you, you have more than five listeners. But um, like the folks who are resonating with your work, it's a, it's a small group. How should I say this? It's getting harder and harder uh, to do the work like kingdom jesus gospel god in the world work it's just it's just getting it's kind of, it's mm. harder and mm-hmm. it's going to get harder yeah mm-hmm. um and so it's really important for those of us who are like actually in it together and looking for a future 15 20 35 40 years down the line mm. to legit be in touch so yeah it's so, so easy so- to feel like it's easy to feel isolated so i saw what you guys were doing and i was and i i'm uh, I'm a, I'm not like a natural, you know, I'm not like a great gatherer of people per se, but like, I, I know the value of being in it with folks. So I was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta connect with Livian Hawk and let's do yeah. that. So that's, yeah. So the prayers, the prayers, um, at this point, the prayers are not like, they're not prayers that are like really, uh, they're not like rooted deeply in my everyday prayer life per se. Um, which, which we can get to that in a little bit in terms of like what my actual prayer life looks like. Um, a lot of blood involved. It's weird. Sure. Um, but so five or six years ago, um, I was my church community here in Concord, California, which is just east of Oakland, which is just across the water from San Francisco. Um, we practice Lent pretty seriously every year. And, and which isn't to say like we get like really like – um, like grumpy about it, but more like we took the season really seriously every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really transformation, transformational for us, particularly insofar as we noticed that the world around us would pay attention to Lent. So it was a time when what we had been up to as a religious tribe uh, resonated and could actually be strategically and positionally helpful for folks who aren't part of our tribe, which if you're at all part of an evangelical culture or have evangelical roots, like that's the ball game. It's like, Oh, people really do want what you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we started this tradition of every Lent practicing Lent in some way that would legitimately be a, like an actual doorway through which people who don't go to church can enter it. So we partnered with the blood water mission for several years and right. we, we seized from every beverage, but water, and then saved all the money we'd have otherwise spent and then gave it to blood water, build clean water wells. Now that's just a thing that you can invite freaking anyone into. Like yeah. anyone can want to do that. Hey, like most of the world, not most, but at the time was like over a billion people don't have access to, to clean drinking water. Would you jump into this thing with us? And folks got in and it was rad and we raised a ton of money. Then as that progressed, it was like year two, so this is more years ago. So like, yeah, year two into that, which is now six years ago, 
language is the thing that shapes culture because folks start asking questions about like what is it that like the thing again like you want as an evangelical is like you want people like what is it that makes you special and uh, <laughs> like finally we get that answer, we get the question we're like ah oh, Jesus and it's just not as sufficient right because the language of our culture is what we figured out the practices of our culture were actually interesting and helpful but the language that made up our culture was trash it was just garbage. Like it's like folks didn't resonate, folks didn't get it. Then now it's well, aren't like in theology and argumentation. Why do you why do you think that was? Uh, because we, it's like not talking to your neighbors for several decades, and then then you have a party and they show up. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty, like we've just done such a garbage job of actually being in the lives of people outside our mm. own culture because yeah. we've been so success, we've been so successful at our own culture. Yeah, uh, the numbers have been there. The money's been there. We didn't need folks to show up, and like, we built stuff. We legit did like you build it and they come kind of thing for a long. Yeah, time. the attractional model of church. Yeah, it had a place. It was just too big. So when folks got close and did start asking questions, like the answers were not answers. It was just platitudes and blah blah blah. So I started this practice of mind. Like, what what would it look like to to write prayers that actually sounded like what was actually happening in my own psychology? stuff that from a language standpoint was uh, broader. It had a more open door. And so I uh, started writing those prayers. And it was like three or so years in a row uh, through Lent, Twitter and Facebook, every day of Lent, some sort of prayer. And they were at the time more, like way more personal. And they were also not quite as concise. Um, but when I watched the way they were resonating with people, I wanted to, I wanted to galvanize that and create an artifact that um, that said something culturally about new language. That it's one thing to like do that interpersonally, but there really is something about <laughs> there's something about a book uh, that folks just kind of take more seriously. And I wanted to say, hey, there's like a real thing happening here. That if we give folks if we give folks handles in language, mm-hmm. they'll hold on. Um, and so we, you know, I, I talked to Scott about pulling in some images. He made another 15 or 20 that first round. And then it did the thing we wanted to have happen, which is like, it resonated with, it resonated with religious people for the most part, uh, decently well, but it really resonated with folks who were like, like on the actual, on the actual fringe, fringe line, you know, that populace of folks we always talk about as evangelicals, which is like, you know, the people in the gaps, the people on the edge. Mm-hmm. And then we never actually do anything that like, like it right. actually freaking landed there. It was like the first time in my vocational ministry life that I'd done something. I was like, Oh, we, like that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. It's and funny. So that's how, that's where they come from. It was like, I wanted to do something for other people that created a, a pathway and a practice that felt more like them. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like stuff that worked for me that I invited them into. The the people on the gap are so interesting because um I I grew up very, very evangelical and so I uh, and am pretty not now, but I've got those roots in me and uh and we like to say that those are the people we're um going for, but like if you're steeped in that world, you're uh very non-Christian folks, you can sort of demonize them. The people on the gap just sort of like make you uncomfortable and scare you if you're, if you're, um, if you're very steeped inside. And so it like, it's a, it feels like a lot of talk to really want to, um, 
uh, reach out to a group of people. Um, it, it, it really was like a lot of talk. Um, the words you were just saying made me think of, have you read, uh, Jonathan Merritt's book from a couple of years ago, the, um, uh, speaking God, learning to speak God, from learning, scratch. learning to speak God from scratch. Thank you. Mm. On um, the bookshelf. Yeah. 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 Same. It's, it's, Mm. Uh, despite me forgetting the name of it, it's on my bookshelf too. Uh, it, like the the same thing he was doing in the first five chapters of the book is kind of what you were talking about. Like language is yeah. is something that does connect with um, people of faith and people not of faith. Um, and we we know that you can connect through justice work. Like there's not a person who's like, no, don't don't help homeless people like they don't feed the poor they clothe the naked people people will do that um but it's sort of become ingrained in a lot of us that words aren't the way to um Hmm. to connect but really they can we just we've used uh can I say shitty words before? <laughs> like we've used yeah. we've used not the best way of um speaking yeah, well, we use stuff that works for for a, a, a while in a way. So they're not – so, you know, um, the trouble with language – not the trouble with language. The, the trouble I run into with language is that, lang- is, is that it actually is flexible. Like it's fluid. Mm-hmm. Like a- mm-hmm. actual language is living in fluid and changes. Um, it has – like the way we, the way we mean things, uh, even the same things over time, changes. Yeah. And that's get, that gets really uncomfortable for folks who have a really particular understanding of like yeah. what truth yeah, yeah. means. So if we're steeped in a certain, a, a, and there's a, there's a philosophical word here I'm missing, if we're st- like the sort of your understanding of what truth is. Um, if you're steeped in a certain understanding of what truth is and how truth works, you can get really, and do, <laughs> I can get really uncomfortable with the fact that meanings shift. Yeah. But meanings actually do shift because language is impermanent. It's just a way to describe reality. Reality, maybe at root, doesn't actually change over the course of time. God, over the course of time, maybe doesn't actually change. I don't freaking know. What I know is like over the course of time, language shifts because we're right about things, we're wrong about things, we have different angles on things. But if you're so steeped in the idea that truth is truth, I know what the truth is, and here are the words we have for it, then when the language shifts, you're freaking lost. So in the 50s, 40s 50s early 60s evangelical white america kind of had it pinned down because these words were actually helpful for pretty much everybody Mm, everybody so it wasn't just like oh here's this shit set of language these shit words that we're using and like it didn't matter no they actually were helpful for a time sure but then culture culture broadened bridges got crossed more and more people knew each other this pre-internet and then what it meant to be human changed what it meant to be saved changed. What it meant to be a Christian changed. What it meant to read, for God's sake, changed. Like it, everything started to change. But because we're so banking, mm-hmm. because we're banking on this monolithic, immovable understanding of what truth is, yeah, a fluid language scares the hell out of us. Yeah. So then the emergent thing for like the three and a half minutes it was alive. <laughs> um, like part of what the emergent thing did was was this brazen, wonderful attempt to like redo the the um like the language and appearances, the sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The optics 
Mm. What's it look and sound like? At the heart, we're the same thing. At the heart, theologically, for the most part, the emergent yeah. movement was not altogether very at, at all divorced from mainline evangelical Christianity. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was. But the optics were very different, similar. and we wanted to really change the language, which was really, really great. And it just got really, really scary. And then it ended up being like not super complete as a movement because it didn't carry with it that same ethos of actual evangelicalism, yeah. et cetera. But the attempt yeah. was there to let's actually do something with the language. So like words always connect. Words are all, you, I'm always making an impact in someone else's life with the words I use. Every single time I open my mouth, I'm setting, a, I'm setting standards, setting tones, I'm changing the atmosphere or whatever. I'm just generally unaware until I start paying attention to my language, what it looks like, mm. like what's, how does that impact folks? That, that's, I, that's, that's really good. I got a couple of thoughts. The first one that is, is racism right now, the word racist. Yes. Um, and that like, that's a clear cut example. My wife and I have had arguments over this, you know, and she's like, no, just admit that you're a racist. And like, well, what's our, what's our definition and understanding of, of racism. And this is yeah. what, you know, like then in my conversations with people like, okay, yeah, I, I will absolutely admit that I have, I have prejudiced and, you know, and I have exhibited that and I apologize for that. And, and so I can say, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a racist, but if our definition and if our understanding of racist is, uh, you know, a white man in a clan hat and mask, you know, just murdering somebody in cold blood, like then, then, then that's problematic. And so, um, well, even like, if you jump, if you jump to, I, this happened the other day in a conversation on Facebook with someone who was like, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. And I was like, Hey, I hear you. I understand. And then, and then someone else in the, in the conversation, thankfully was like, so when you say that, what do you mean? Yes. Cause we were actually using the word very differently. So yes. he's like, listen, this is what Merriam Webster says. And he's not wrong. Right. It's a belief. This is what racism is. Racism is a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherently superior, uh, inherent superiority of mm -hmm. a particular race. Now, the definition in Merriam-Webster's mm -hmm. perspective is that it's a belief. White people wrote that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the difference is, though, if you ask, if you ask black and brown That's folks, true. racism isn't a matter of belief; it's a matter of power. And then, if your definition, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> orientation of power. Right. Yeah, you're wrong. Now, yeah. what gets weird in here, and this is what makes language fluid, is like, so who gets to be right? Is it mm. the dominant culture that wrote the freaking mm. dictionary? You know what I mean? Like, there's your power move. I wrote the dictionary. Sit down. <laughs> right. Oh gosh. Or yeah. Or do you say you are the populace of persons who has lived underneath this? It actually mm. means more to you that we get this right. Cause I get yeah. to talk shit about this with friends over beers. Yeah. But you live in a place where like, you're the first generation of people over the course of your entire family that maybe might get a chance to go to college because of racism. Maybe it means more to you. And so maybe I should bend my power will here and allow this space to be taken up by the folks. So it's like, now we're talking about like, this is a word that actually shouldn't be defined for the time being at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. The way Miriam Webster has right. it in its dictionary because it lacks a power orientation. That's fluidity in language. Race is a great example of how that happens with language. Oh man, that's, that's great. I got, I got another thought too. Like this is going backwards now to like that evangelical culture. Um, years ago I did, 
or I was a part of two funerals in the same day. The first one was for a neighbor and a community member. Um, and it was a, or it wasn't a funeral, but it was a memorial service, a secular memorial service, um, that I, I was asked to lead, um, people, a whole community that's not connected to the church at all. You know, most of which were agnostic. Um, but I had built a rapport and a relationship with them. And they're like, um, we're hurting. Can, can you help us? We don't know. I mean, there's a young guy, like, we don't know how, like, what are we supposed to do? And, and I was able to sit with them and be the presence of, of Christ to be, to be God's presence with them in the, the entire community. And so then I went straight, like I had to duck out a couple minutes early out of that service. And then I went straight to another service that was like church centric. Um, and the person, the person who was leading that, it was like extremely evangelical and, and both worked, um, in, in that context. But what happens, like, the we go oh well you know like he it it wasn't outside the you know or it wasn't inside the church so that other one didn't really kind of count and he didn't accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior and you know he's probably the not in heaven the goalposts removed yeah and um, but what what I encountered was a a large a very large group of people who were hurting and who were still like wanting the same thing and finding reaching out for truth um but the the language we used was just it was different yeah um, imagine imagine like the what it looks like and i mean insofar as you guys function in the pastoral you know uh like the heavy value placed on integrity specifically for folks in leadership and may and more specifically, you know, folks placed in, in, in religious leadership. Yeah. And what that generally tends to mean for folks is like, you know, you, you're the same person everywhere you go now. Yeah. You can do that, but you also have to, again, from the standpoint of optics and language, you have to code switch. You have yeah. to switch yeah. things up and like you have to live with a different posture and you see that in the model of Jesus. Yeah. He's with some folks and like, it's, you know, and these are super cheesy examples, but it's like, he's, she's, he's with some person who's literally caught in the act of adultery. And he's like, Hey, let's, uh, let's take a step back here. Let's slow the process down. And then he's with other folks who are again, and this is where, you know, power needs to play into definitions who are dropping the ball relationally in other areas. And he has no room when he's talking to religious leadership and he's no room when he's talking to synagogue yeah. leaders. He's got no patience and they're surface and they're sly yeah. and they're terrible. It's a different con. There's human beings, you know, and then like the weird way we've done the thing with sin, it's like, well, it's, it's all sin. It's all the same. And Jesus seems to say like, no, it really, <laughs> <laughs> right. It kind of isn't that way y'all. And it's, you know, depending on where you are, your, your, your code has to switch up. Your mm. posture has to switch up and, that doesn't mean you're a different person in different rooms. It just means there are different people in different rooms and you get to love them differently. There's a, there's a very public um, Facebook page for St. John's, our area. And uh, there's, there's something like 50,000 people in St. John's. So it's, it's a, there's a lot of people here um, more than the town I grew up in. And, and so this page is like a cesspool a lot of times. Well, the other day someone wrote, um, hey, I'm, I'm going through a lot and, uh, I, I just, he just kind of unloaded and it didn't sound 
suicidal or anything. He just, like, I think quarantine was getting to the guy. And so I, I jumped in and I was like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a pastor in the area, but like, I'm not, I'm, I'm a good listener. Um, I, I'm not going to preach at you or Jesus you or anything. Um, but the, I found myself, the evangelical background in me was like, nah, dude, don't say that. Like you can't, you can't just say, I won't preach at you. You should Mm. be doing that. Um, but at the same time, like, I'm, I'm not going to do, he's, he's a dude. If he, if he never finds Jesus, but he needs someone right now, fine. Like I, I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm okay with that. And, um, but I'm also, uh, very close with people who are like 15 years ago, me who would balk at that and be like, no, you like you, you shouldn't just be okay with him being away from the church but like i don't well and the I real don't know. I, there is like if you show up and you're present everything i understand about the biblical and spiritual tradition of christ says that like he did meet with jesus and he was in the presence of the church right yeah that's the real that's like that's the real head trip is like there it doesn't there wasn't a set of things that he agreed to but he's in the presence of christ and he's in the presence of and the protection of the church. Yeah. Because you showed up. Yeah. Well, and that's um, like we talk a lot about, I mean, we titled our freaking podcast on success. We, we talk a lot about um, failures and by any metric, I shrunk my church from 100 to 50 in the past five years. Josh has shrunk his church. Like we're not, we're not, do, we're not doing well. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've pissed off a number of people. Um, uh, <laughs> I could have maybe been more tactful, but I, you know, it, they were going to leave anyway, quite frankly. Um, but, uh, like it, it seems like against every impulse that a pastor should have to get to the point where they're like, you know, I'm just going to help a person. And if they Mm. find Jesus, great. If they don't, um, fine. Maybe they've, maybe they've found some kind of hope, um, Mm. and God can take them. Um, I, I think a lot about like how problematic any of the metrics we have are. That's that's a sort of metric. But then I heard um, years ago, back when Bart Campola was uh, still a Christian, he he spoke at my seminary, and he was he basically built to the point of the brick and mortar church is like maybe has a decade left and it's gone. Um, and and you know he may have been a little bit off on that, but he wasn't entirely off like <laughs> um the the ideas that we have about what church is is mm. sort of a thing of the past like there's yeah, i guess i would say i guess i would say it differently i would say um you're not the guy to build it you're not the guy to build a church community from 75 to 300 oh sure but but somebody is yeah yeah there are and while they do that you, you get to be the guy that spends the one-on-one time with folks and both those things are pastoring. Like, again, talking pastor talk, <laughs> the problem with metrics for me most of the time is like you just can't apply all of them to one person. Hell, you can't apply all of them to like a team of four. Oh, gosh, that's so good. What it looks like, like so, you know, I don't know John Ortberg as, a, as an individual person. I know he's like a thought leader kind of guy. I know he's a culture maker. I know he's a communicator and a book writer. I know that. Yeah. 
I've, I've heard him speak. I, you know, I don't know for sure if I want John Ortberg in the room around somebody's like dying parent. I don't know. Like I rarely am around folks who are that great on the grand cultural stage that I want in the private room doing the private work. And at the same time, like I'm, I'm around a lot of cats who are great at like the sort of the deep dive stuff, the one-on-one stuff. They're more, <laughs> they're more culturally and ethically compromised <laughs> as persons. Yeah. And I don't want them running churches. Right. I want all these cats doing all of it. It's just the metrics, the metric. Yeah. The set of metrics that we put on the word pastor are like infreaking possible to place <laughs> on one person, three yeah. people, yeah. seven people, 10 people. Like it's just, it's dramatically, it's just dramatically different. So I guess I would push back and say, like, if we make it, if we make, just like in the same way, if we make church or the church, this monolithic thing that's like right, yeah. wrong, critiqued, bad, good, look, you know, it's all going to be bad. Because um, you can't, because you can't use the same metrics to evaluate the, the growth of the black church in Detroit the same way you would, you would do that, you know, a church in Troy, Michigan. Sure. Similarly, like, the metrics you use to evaluate success as a pastor, criminy. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> who, gets to, who gets to decide that? Which, like, weirdly enough, this is why you go back to, like, the model of Christ was, like, you, uh, is, he, had a, he had 12. Yeah. Like, Jesus had 12. That's it. And even <laughs> at that, like, 11 made it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, 11 got through, and among those, there are a few who are like, we don't even know what the hell happened to those guys after. <laughs> after it's like, uh, I, I don't know what happened. Like, right. You know, the, like the, what it means to be a success, it's more a matter of relationship. It's a more a matter of like what kind of trophy are you chasing as a person? Like, what do you want? If the goal is to grow your church to 350 and 75, you're just going to suck as a pastor. But I'm not going to, but like, that's not the only metric. Yeah, should shrink, and some people are really good at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I uh, I remember hearing in a in a seminary class of mine that we were we were talking about the Book of Mark, and I I don't know why I'd never noticed this is so obvious. Um, but Mark's got sixteen or fifteen and a half chapters, um, and at chapter eight, Jesus is growing, growing, growing. Crowds are growing, growing. Chapter eight happens. Peter says, "You're the Messiah." His crowd shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink, and then he dies. Like it's, there's, there's literally a hill and I'm like, okay, okay. So, so Jesus sucked. Like <laughs> he, he sucked. He was awful. Like by, he the, was, by the metrics, by, by, by general success metrics, he was awful. He was but also, awful. Wasn't, but also wasn't what he was trying to do. Right. No, no. I, um, I, I push back a lot and you, you, we talk about language. And so this idea of success I've had, like just the whole title of this, this podcast and what David and I are kind of after I've had so many people, countless people say, Oh, we just need to redefine success. And I've pushed back and I'm like, no, like, that's not what, that's not what Jesus calls us to. I don't like, I think by redefining success, it still has to do with, ego and I, it, it's still like trying to like validate what we're, we're doing. Um, and then even I've, I've pushed back a little bit with like with Brene Brown, like this idea of failure and really like the vulnerability, um, and rising from failure. Um, I've tried to accept like, no, you failure is okay. 
whether or not you rise from it or not, you know, like this idea of, of suffering that, you know, like the crucifixion of Christ, like, is, is that enough without the resurrection too? You know, like we, we place so much emphasis on the resurrection, like, well, that's great. And that's, imp- it, I mean, it's really great when you rise from failure, but, but not everybody does. Um, and, and, and so we've placed like this, just this importance of like, well, I have to succeed. And so if I'm not, if I'm not being successful, then I'm going to redefine it so that like actually failure becomes success. Um, but like, but I, I think that that prevents us actually from being really present and going back to, you know, to the, just the, the language bit. And, um, David, you know, I think like with, with your conversation with that guy on Facebook, um, by our, just by the metrics that we place ourselves on, like it actually just prevents us from being Jesus to real people. Um, yeah. I, I think yeah, it's sort of like a have your, it's sort of like a have your, have your plans. That's fine. Yeah. Hold them loosely. Yes. Yeah. That like, lo- yeah. Have goals. And if you don't get there, cause I think part of what I'm hearing you say with, with, with the, the, at least the way people have uh, recoded uh, Brene Brown's stuff is that there's a particular way this is a there's a little interesting bit there's a particular thing people expect when you talk about rising again so when you when you talk about like the comeback like everyone mm-hmm. likes the comeback it's the rock it's like you did four freaking Rocky movies like yeah five, huh. ten. I don't know where we're at now it's like seven yeah. but all of them are like hey he's gonna get his ass handed to him and then like <laughs> that's uh, and everyone loves that story because I think that is ingrained in the human spirit. And I think it's, it's part of the divine shape of things that maybe the trick is in part where you and I are resonating here is like, you don't really know what that looks like. So yeah. I know you want to rise again. I think you want really specific things when you say that though, and you're going to be probably disappointed. So mm-hmm. what's it look like to come back and to rise out of the ashes? Let's just keep in mind that like the overwhelming majority of people who ran into Jesus right after the resurrection had no freaking idea who he was. Yeah. Had no idea. Oh uh, yeah. Rose from yeah. the grave. They've been around this cat for three years all the time. Yeah. They look at him square in the face, taking long walks with him, and they're like, I didn't even know it was him. Yeah. <laughs> they had no yeah, idea who it was. And he yeah. had to like he had to shit. Now he wasn't like he didn't like redefine himself. I just don't think we know what resurrection looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we want to. I think yeah. we do just like we do with everything else, which is fine, is we have these really particular expectations that drive us in a particular direction, and then we get to be yeah. disappointed. And then what happens at that point, that's, that, that's where the magic is. Like, can you, get, can you allow your expectations, because they will, and your hopes and your dreams to draw you and to drive you? What's it look like to run a church? What's it look like to pastor? What's it look like to be a successful minister of the gospel of Jesus? There's no way you function with those without having some really particular ideas. Yeah. Awesome. 94% of those, 94.6% of those will, will be disappointed in some way, shape, or form. If and when they are, are you willing to let those go to yeah. see what God actually is doing and what you were actually able to accomplish? Which is why people in the seventies and eighties are just happier than we are. Cause yeah. they're like, I don't know. I did my best and it turned out okay. And now like, I'll just take whatever shows up. They're just, they were disappointed enough to let go and receive. Yeah. 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 It's I, I always go back to the, 
end of the movie up, and I've spoiled it about a thousand times on this podcast. But when when the when the when homie, the, if your listeners haven't seen Up already, I, know. Then I don't even know. What I know. Like, I know. On. No, the dude, like, like what hit me deep was not the first ten minutes that made everyone ball. It was the very end where the dude finds a letter from his wife that said, "Thanks for the adventure," and I'm like. Man, how how do you how do you get to the point where everything you searched for mm. ended up losing you all this money because someone broke their leg and then being like, "Man, that was a ride." How do you get how do you get to where Mike Iaconelli got um right before he um got in the car accident and died and he was mm. like, "What mm. a ride, god." Um I like how, how do you how do you get yeah. to that point? Like I'm I'm I, I've I've done a lot in my life and I I don't think I'm at the point where I'm like, man, what a great adventure. I'm, I'm satisfied. I would like to wow. be that, but I'm not satisfied yet. Well, it sounds like you're going to have to fail a little bit more. Good luck. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very cool. Good thing you got a podcast to process <laughs> yeah. this out loud with. Right. So right. this is like, I don't know how many years ago. This is like before I had kids. So my son's 10, so at least more than a decade ago. Um, I went... Uh, on a little ski adventure with some friends up to um, uh, Whistler Blackcomb. And I'd never been there before. I've been looking forward to the trip for a long time. Whistler, do you know, you guys ski, you know, and stuff? Yeah, I do. Just okay. Whistler Blackcomb, it's like, it's a destination, right? So we got a, right. you know, we got a cabin and we're hanging out for three or four days. And it was Big like, mountain. Night. it's a lot to ski. It's a lot to ski. <laughs> it's, and we have two mountains actually. Yes, it is. So <laughs> afternoon of day two, uh, I think this is how this goes. We saw, we see them assembling a stage as like a little village area down yeah. at the bottom of the hill. We see them assembling the stage uh, in the afternoon. We're like, oh, cool. You know, they're going to do some sort of like local show. It's going to be puppets or whatever, but Canadian puppets. Awesome. So, <laughs> um, and then the next day we get to the hill and like on the chairlift, like we start hearing these rumors and at lunch, guy behind me just says the words beastie boys out loud. And I was like, what? I was like, bro, what? He goes, yeah, beastie boys. The beastie boys are going to be here tonight. I was like, are you serious? Dude. So then I'm like, Hey, you guys here? So we're on, you know, chair lifts, like everyone's talking with, you know, the beers at the top, beers at the bottom, like beastie boys, beastie boys. So people are like, you know, they're leaving the hill early to get to the stage area. Like you want <laughs> If you want to get like a bunch of white people to stop skiing. Yeah. <laughs> Beastie Boys or Dave Matthews Band. All these, exactly. So all these folks are like cramming into this uh, like little area. It was not that little, but into the little kind of village area. It's five o'clock. Um, like people are like passing dinner in. People are kind of bringing their like dinnering together with people they don't know. Just having a great time. And then somewhere along the line, someone said like the show's <laughs> the show's going to start at like six thirty or something like that. I don't remember the exact. It might have been six thirty or so. Let's just call it seven because it makes it easier. It's seven o'clock, so it's like you know six forty-five. People are kind of all fired up and you know passing drinks around for hours, and so everyone's like really happy. We made friends with everyone. We're like this is gonna be great. Beastie boys, and the chant starts going. Beastie boys, nothing's happening on stage. Seven, like right at seven o'clock, because you know, rock and roll always starts late. Right at seven o'clock, um, there's nothing, literally, there's nothing on the stage, and there hasn't been all day. <laughs> uh, right at seven o'clock, someone I'm guessing who is a stagehand like walks out to the middle of the stage with a boom stand, not a boom stand with a straight stand, not a boom stand, but one of the straight ones. 
with no, there's no microphone on it, which I notice. I don't know if everyone else does. I notice there's no mic on it. Sets it down in the middle of the stage and goes, and then walks <laughs> off. And, and everyone just looks like, ah, because it's confirmation of the thing we've been hoping. It's 7.15, it's 7.30, it's 7.45, it's 8 o'clock. The Beastie Boys were never coming. Oh, man. <laughs> that was never, and the, the, the crowd dissipating, and people were like super pissed. <laughs> 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 Screwed. And, I t- and I've told that story for a long time, just in terms of like, and usually the way I used to tell the story was like, usually around something like the triumphal entry where like Jesus is coming into town and people have these really clear expectations. Oh, that's good. Jesus is going to do, mm-hmm. but you're going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. But I've, what I've started to get to in recent years as I've reflected on this story is how cool was all the stuff happening on the ground among all those people mm-hmm. that whole time? Mm-hmm. Like if you had told me day one when I arrived at Whistler Blackcomb, hey, here's the deal, night three, we're going to get together with like 800 people and have dinner and pass around drinks for like two and a half hours. You down? I'd be like, yes, mm-hmm. I'll be there. Yeah. Like I would have been there and been stoked. But because of the expectation set that I had while I was sitting there, I didn't even see it. I didn't yeah. see how fun it was. I didn't see, I was just, I was expecting the Beastie Boys and I wasn't like, if I would have gone there thinking like, I'm going to make friends with really cool yeah. folks I've never met yeah. before and share dinner, I would have been like awesome and so satisfied with that. But yeah. because of my expectations, it took like 10 years for me to look back and be like, it was actually really cool. What actually happened was really, really cool. Mm. Yeah. The trick for me is the slow, like, I'm going to chase the things that you, you can pick it up here. Like I've got like a, I've got three lifetimes worth of energy in my mm. little five foot six, <laughs> 158 pound body. Like I'm, I'm ready to go. Like, give me, give me a mission. I'm going. I want to go at a pace that's, I want to go hard enough that like when I'm done with my life, I'll be finished. Mm. Like I I don't want to have anything left, but I want to go wisely and well and slow enough that I notice the shit that's actually happening while I'm going. Yeah. Mm. So like, I don't want to just go from disappointment to disappointment and then look back. I did that for a while, but I'm in my forties now and I don't have time. Yeah. I want to pay attention to like the stuff that's happening and receive it as it's happening, even while I chase the thing I think is supposed to happen. So that when I get there and that's disappointing, I immediately recognize the gift of the journey yeah. and the gift of the pathway. Yeah. Oh, God, and that just so comes good. with like, I've got, to rearrange, I've got to rearrange my pace. I've got to slow. I don't want to change my expectations. I don't. I want to heighten my expectations and, mm-hmm. and go harder at the things I think should happen in the world because I trust my intuitions better than I used to. Mm-hmm. I just want to go at a pace where I can recognize the gift of the journey along the way. So that's like, Stop once a week and Sabbath keep and pay attention and see what happened this week. Take actual vacations, work with people who you disagree with, like who are going to help you see stuff. Like, I, I want to move differently, but I don't want to stop. I don't, don't want to stop chasing disappointment or chasing. I don't want to, I don't want to stop chasing uh, expectations yeah. and being disappointed. That's just part of the journey. I just want to notice what happens while I'm going. Oh gosh. That's so good. That's so good. Um, that's uh, sort of a, not really a reframing, but like, uh, another way of looking at, we, we bring up, um, Richard Rohr's idea, a lot of the two halves of life and how, um, you're very ego, ego focused in the first half of life. And then you more are focused on, um, doing things just cause they're the right things to do yeah. or the, or the best things in your second half of life. And that's a, that's a good sort of on the ground way of seeing, um, uh, what's, 
what's important and um, and not not holding on to your own expectations too tightly. Yeah. That's really yeah. really good. That's, That's a really great good. look. Yeah, I've theorized too, and I talked about this in earlier episode. Um, like, I don't know if if we can live in that second half of life in the first half of life, you know, like in for years I've looked at like, so Henry now and Eugene Peterson were two individuals that I've like, whoa, they have this peace and like, I, I want what they had. Um, and I don't think you can have what they had when they, in later life, when you're in your twenties or thirties. Um, I mean, they didn't start writing till later anyway. Like, yeah. And so it's, it's been, it's, been this interesting journey and this, this realization too, like just to give ourselves grace, um, and not to, not to beat myself up. Like shame is a killer. And, and the, just that, um, just the shame of like, Oh, I should have done better. I should have done more. Um, and, and it's, it's a journey, you know, like in, and I, I look back, you know, at the last 15 or 20 years of my life in ministry and, I'm like, yeah, it, it wasn't for naught. And, uh, and I've, I've learned a lot, but we, yeah, we keep going. And I find myself practically what, like, I've got a couple of spiritual directors who are older and well into that second half of life. And like, I just want to spend time with them once in a while, you know, like it, and that, that helps me kind of center my motivations, helps me to, to hold loosely to those things a little bit more. Um, but there's been a lot of those people in my life over the years, you know, and you just, I think it, the, the older we get, the more we realize that and the more we, oh, yeah. we see that. And that's part of, I mean, the, 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 that practice, the slowing down practice, it's not even a slowing down practice, it's a more attention paying, I guess sometimes slowing down. I think you're hundred percent right. Like early in life, do those years and just do them all. Like, and like if you can chase shame out, yeah. Like do those years that like do your twenties, like a 20 year old for God's sake, please. Right. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. do your 20s, like, because if <laughs> let's be honest, because if you get in your fifties, doesn't this happen? Yeah. Cause I don't want you to do your fifties. Like you, the, <laughs> like the, your twenties, bro. Like yeah. I know that guy, he's a jerk. He goes to my gym. I'm not a fan, <laughs> uh, but like, cause you're going to live those phases of life. That's just the human soul. You're going to live those phases. So do your twenties like you're in your twenties. Make all those mistakes, take all those big bets, quit all those things, do the wild thing, the move to, you know, Portland thing, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like do all the stuff in your twenties, and then do this, do the, your thirties like your thirties, and then do your forties like your forties. Yeah. I think you're hundred percent right. You don't live. You get. You can't live. The you can't not live in the phase of life you're in. Yeah. So abandoning shame, paying attention to who you are, and letting go of those disappointments. This is part of why. I like so, I mean, I still I still make a little bit of music. I just did a record, dropped a record like last month or whatever. Awesome. Um, I'm still writing books. Turned a book in yesterday, uh, and I love doing that stuff. Um, but the, the most enjoyable part of my life now is like direct, like direct coaching, like being mm. like actually just being with people, artists, pastors, ministers, leaders, like in their thing so that I can catch those moments. Mm. I was with a client yesterday who's, she's literally having this like shame moment about like all mm. the stuff that she was, she should have done or the way that should have gone. And I get to be like, okay, let's take a step back. And I know you're frustrated that this didn't happen, but let's talk about what did happen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you just have to have someone be there with you to do that because you can't 
do it on your own, which is, by the way, something I only know because I'm in the beginning of the last phase. Like I'm, be- I'm in the beginning of like the back half of life. Mm-hmm. Like I, like I did my twenties. I made, I did some great stuff. I traveled the freaking world. I planted churches. I wrecked relationships. Like I did the thing. I had money, lost money, all the thing. And now I'm like, I get to pass all this stuff backwards. Mm. So we talk about spiritual direction, talking about therapy, talking about getting coaching and mentorship. Like that's why you do those things. Cause like it frees you up yeah. to have a spiritual director frees you up to live. Cause what, you're what? 38. I'm 37. I was damn close though. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Um, but like you get to live like a 37 year old. Yeah. Is someone can position you in your life. You're 37, bro. You don't need to know these things. Just do those things. Right. Yeah. You know, having yeah. someone like that in your life who's been there, it just changes everything. So like, I love writing books. I'm going to keep doing it. I like making music. I'll still do that some, but like sitting with people like one-to-one and walking them through this, like the phase of life they're in that I love that stuff for that very reason is I get to grab shame by the throat in someone's life yeah. and just yeah. the freaking life out of them. I'm like, Nope, you go. <laughs> grab shame by the throat. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta have a, uh, um, more moments of realizing that we're mm. passing around beers and having uh, great food with people instead of uh, waiting to fight for our right waiting to party. The Beastie Boys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, yeah. it's good. Enjoy the party. Don't fight for your right to party. <laughs> Something there you go. like that. All there's, there's, there's a quote there somewhere. I, Do either thing whenever it's appropriate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us, uh, you probably can't tell us much about the book cause you just put it in, but, uh, tell us, um, a little bit about what's coming up for you. Um, so just, I just finished a book, uh, called it is what you make of it, which is a, a, a collection of, mm-hmm. so the story I just told about skiing and that whole thing, yeah. it's a bunch of stories a lot like that. It just like what, it, like how do you receive moments as they are and then make something out of them instead of just living in disappointment and stuckness. So it's oh, so good. 17 chapters of stories about that kind of stuff. Like uh, actually includes, you asked about at the very beginning of the podcast, uh, the five iron frenzy tour and which yes. I got with the lead singer. It includes a story about that. Oh, heck yeah. Yes. Um, that like me singing uh, with five iron was actually, is actually part of the chapter. It's oh, cool. a really, really fun chapter. Um, but it's like, it's just stories from the last 25 years of, uh, uh, life in art and ministry and doing stuff and winning and losing and learning. And then like the whole ball game being like, it really isn't a matter what I brought to the table. It's a matter what happens. Like, mm-hmm. what do I do with what I've been given? What do I, like when the moment arrives, what do I do with it? When my church dwindles down to 75, what do I do with that? Yeah. Like, what do I do with what I'm giving? This, the, the continual return to that question. Oh, that's so that's the heart of the book. I do that's- that. And then um, I just released a collection of songs called The Curse of the Faithful. That's, um, they're mostly songs written about how ridiculously hard it is to be a pastor. And um, nice. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and like I, it was the record I needed <laughs> seven to ten years ago, and I was like, "Well, someone's not going to do it. It's going to be me." Then fine, yeah. Uh, and uh, it was really, it was a joy to let go of into the world. Mm. And I'll be doing a bunch more now that I'm done with that book. Uh, I'll be done, doing a bunch more like public reflection on the songs and church history, uh, my church history, recent church history, not general church history. 
just because um, that question of what, like what, you know, what do you do with what you've been given? It's not really a thing that most pastors are allowed to function in. Like there are targets yeah. you're supposed to hit. Yeah. There, yeah. There's a kind of person you're supposed to be. Uh, the expectations are not just high. They're really, really specific. Yeah. And pretty much everyone's going to be disappointed. Mm. Um, I'm trying to remember as I talk to you, the, the line from um, Endgame where Thor is, uh, Thor goes back in time and he's sitting with his mom. With his mom, yeah. And he's talking about having like failed. And she said that everyone fails at being who they're supposed to be. Oh gosh! Damn! Oh gosh! <laughs> oh good! Wow! Come dude. on! <laughs> I, 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 the End Game is one of those movies like I cry like at least seven times. I'm watching it with my ten year old son. He's like, "What the hell is wrong?" With you? Yeah, no, it's crazy. <laughs> you understand how good it is because he's such a strong man, but he's also good. so. No, it's 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 like, hey, hey, cool superhero movie. No, no, it, it cuts to the heart of it's it's. It's a movie about being middle-aged. <laughs> like that, that is what the movie but that is. Line, like everyone <laughs> fails at being, being who they're supposed to be. Like there needs to be like ev- in between every, I didn't go to seminary, but between every course a person takes in seminary should be a course that's just like the, like to ingrain the mantra of that in yeah. the hearts and minds of anyone who's going to be in, in any sort of vocation, vocational ministry. Everyone mm-hmm. fails at being, being who they're supposed to be. Yeah, there's a Facebook group called What I Didn't Learn When I Was in Seminary, and it's um, most of it is just stupid memes, but there is, like, you get a whole lot of, you know, some ministry training, a lot of Bible training, but literally you're missing a lot of, like, um, and I'm not speaking for all seminaries, but most, you're missing a lot of, like, important life stuff. I, I think of um, Eugene Peterson said once he's like we don't need um we don't need as many like scholars and whatnot in the church we need we need sages who are leading Mm. churches who can just like walk around and point out um what it is to be human what it is to be in this Mm. life and help people through their crap like he he didn't say crap because he's better with the words but uh but he (laughs) like uh, he 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 was just like the church needs more sages, and I I don't feel like like any any sageness I have about me is um, mostly just learning from doing uh, or or inherent. Like there there could be um, there could be more of that that I think is missing in a lot of mm-hmm. seminaries because we've got a very We've got a the double-edged sword of tragedy here is one. It's like we're we continue to move um, pretty full steam ahead into a, uh, a a a broad cultural space in which like you just sh- not only can't but shouldn't trust people who are older than you. We're back sure. there. Like it's all that stuff. It was like people said in the sixties, mm-hmm. like don't trust anyone who's older than forty or what's older than thirty. Right. Like we're back there. Like you're not supposed to trust people from you know previous generation, which sucks. Mm-hmm. The other side of that, the other edge of that sword is like part of the reason there are so few sages is because those cats are burned out. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like how many dudes on the real, like how many folks, you know, I'm saying dudes, it's like, it's only because there haven't been enough women, but like how many people, you know, come to the end of their tenure as pastors and they're like, you know what? It'd be great to stick around and help. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, I'm done. Bye. Thank you. Vacation. I'm leaving the state. I'm leaving the state because I don't want to be, because that's how weird, that's a weird and hard it is, is yeah. they're done and then they'll leave the state. Yeah. They can't be around the people. Be, and, if, and they can't be around the people, not because they don't like the people, but because, watch, because of the set of expectations that would yes. be placed on them when they show the freak up. Yeah. Yes. What the hell culture are we running where we're like, we run these people ragged. Yeah. And then when they're done and free, the thing they have to do is vacate themselves from all the expectations they've been living under for 40 years. Yeah. Oh, what the gosh. hell happened? Yeah. We, yeah. we don't have sages because we burn these cats out. So that, man, just personally, personal antidote, my dad pastored the church that I now pastor for 35 years. And three years ago, we transitioned and like, he's stuck around. You're like, he, he's still, and I mean, now we're a whole nother deal. Like David and I are talking about merging our congregations into a, a new one. And so like both of our churches, we're we're the crazy ones now saying like, Hey, these are a hundred year old churches. Let's close them and start a new church together. Um, and then I'll have another one to shrink from 150. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at it. Do what you're good at. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, but that, that's something that we heard, like we heard a lot uh, against, like my dad didn't go anywhere. Like, no, he, he's figured this out, you know, like, and he's got, he's got a lot of wisdom and, um, and we've had bumps, but, um, I've, I've been pretty adamant you know, like, no, I, I really want you around. I want to be able to learn from you and from, you know, what you've, yeah, those, those bumps that you've, the mistakes that you made, I don't want to have to remake them that make the same mistakes. Um, and so it's, it's been cool to be a part of that, you know, to the, that is not definitely the norm. No. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, but you understand how weird that is. Like it's, it's super yeah. weird. And, um, and I think the only reason it worked is cause your dad is like, he, he doesn't really care. Like, so you say like weird, but like, it's, it's weird not to have that. I, mean, I think that's what we're, yeah. we're, we're trying to get at, you know, like these expectations. It's a thing that actually, hum- it's a thing that actually humanly makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. The machinery doesn't allow it. Yeah. 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 Because the machinery's wrong. Yeah. Um, Sky Jatani wrote a book called In Something. I, I cannot remember the name of books today. Um, but his. <laughs> his I, I have With, and then I have the one he wrote with the guy named Bluer? Blue, I don't remember. I don't know. Like ministry and vocation stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been that one, but he was, um, he was talking about. Um, uh, the Christian industrial complex. And, mm. and that's basically what it is. Like we, the, the complex doesn't work. Mm. It's the, uh, like, like, um, and his whole point was we focus so much on like the program aspect of things and putting a bowling alley in church for some reason, uh, rather than, um, what, mm. what people are actually in need of, which is prayer and which is human connection, which, and hey, don't get me wrong. Like bowling alley in your church sounds like a, sounds like a party, and I'm I'm I'd totally come do that. Yeah, well, and and I mean the bowling alley locally closed, so we've got like a huge opening there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not anti, but again, yeah. going back to metrics, like yeah. if you if you're a church that can put together the room with twenty PS4s, yeah, awesome. Yeah, do that. That's super rad. Yeah. 
know that that's what you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Know that that's what you bring to the table. And when you can't do the other stuff, point at a church down the road that's really, really good at spiritual formation work mm-hmm. or yeah. has therapists on staff. Or if you are a church that like, you don't have, God. if you're a church that you like, you've got like three teenagers, mm-hmm. don't hire a freaking youth pastor, bro. Right. <laughs> like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't, don't try to, and then try to replicate the youth ministry yeah. thing yeah. down the street. And they make these three kids feel all shitty for being like, I kind of would rather go to grace, you know, grace, whatever Bible down the road. Yeah. I got to be here. Cause they did something for me. Just, call the pastor up and be like, Hey, here's the thing we're not strong in. This is yeah. what we're good at. Here's something that you're good at. Yeah. Just go do that. So the, like, which is all to say, like when you guys talk about doing something together, yeah. like that shouldn't be such a laughable, weird thing for yeah. people. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm yeah. Strong in here's the thing I'm not strong in this, this cat over here is really good at the stuff I'm not good at. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good at the stuff she's not good at. Like, why isn't that like <laughs> it's what you would do in business? It's what you would do in a neighborhood. It's what you do everywhere else. There's something about like this weird, like church ego thing. that's like, yo, yeah. like I get that we have our traditions and we get that we have our machinery. It has worked in the past and it works in certain situations, but let me be a leader. Yeah. And yeah. And have my limitations and I, and function within them so that I can be to come back to an actual success. Let me be good at the stuff I'm good at and yeah. pass on the stuff I'm not so that I can just do the stuff I'm good at. The church should legit here. I do the thing I don't want doing. Churches should actually be places where that is vocationally possible for people. Mm. Oh man. That's so good. That's so we, good, Justin. That that's absolutely for sure the culture that we are working to create in our community. I mean, dude, kill it. N- North Portland. It says I mean, two zip codes, um, a population of about seventy thousand people, and we have a network of probably forty-ish churches. Um, there's one large church in the seventy thousand population in North Portland. All the other churches are, you know, well under a hundred people, and. And so we've identified that. We were like, hey, you're good at this. You're good at that. We're all in communication with each other. There's a, like an intense trust that's been been built in, in real relationships. And so looking for opportunities, you know, like, and as we cast vision for this, this new church, you're like, we don't want to be the end all be all by any means, you know, but like we want to help resource to be kind of a, a connector of sorts. Um, and to be able to identify those, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, that church over there is really good at this. This church over here is really good at that. And we're really, really, really great when we all come together, you know, and, yeah, and can work together. So Man. sounds like the gospel to me. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, uh, thanks so much for being on. Uh, where, where can people find you online? Um, I'm everywhere. Uh, so, uh, th- like Facebook, I'm around a bit, uh, Instagram, I'm around a bit. I, I spend some time on Twitter. Um, but mostly it's Facebook, Instagram, uh, sure. I'm there quite a bit. And then justmcroberts.com is a decent place to come for other things as a springboard. I, so a my decent my, place to come. <laughs> well, just because like folks don't go hang out at people's websites anymore. Right. So sure. like, if you want to go there, great, I'll be there. Um, <laughs> 
that's fine. I'll point you somewhere else from <laughs> yeah. where we'll probably <laughs> hang out. So, uh, my podcast gets hosted at my website, but you'll end up bouncing to Apple. It's just called at C with Justin McRoberts. Okay. Um, but really kind of, you know, I'm, I'm online a lot. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here. Um, uh, Check out the book when it comes out, uh, his music, whatever. Um, And yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. You got it. Well, for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David. And I'm Josh. And we'll see you next time.